and I, I literally fell asleep on my feet. So I'm still moving, but all of a sudden, I had the sense that I was back in Hong Kong and I was exploring some trails in Hong Kong. I was in kind of some villages. Um, there were people around. I couldn't quite see them, but I knew they were there. Uh, I wasn't quite sure the direction I was following, but there seemed to be some markers. And like, you know, weirdly subconsciously, I kind of remember, well, those markers seem like the markers for like that trail you're doing at Beaks, but it didn't connect. Like it didn't, you know, it didn't make any sense. Um, another little voice was saying to me, I think you're supposed to be finishing this loop. That, my friend, was Will Hayward. And this is Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope all is well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. Just to close out the loop on the Big Dogs Backyard Ultra, we have Will Hayward on the podcast this week. He gained entry through winning Boar's Backyard Ultra with a respectable 25 loops, just scraping past the 100 mile mark. His main aim going into the backyard wasn't to contest winning position, but to find out how far he could challenge his own limits. Well, he done just that and more. He looked like he was at death's door halfway through the race and miraculously through a deep strength of resilience and determination, he kept showing up at the starting line ready to battle against his own inner voices. It wasn't long till there was only four left on course. Katie dropped, followed by the race favorite Dave Proctor, which left Will as the last man standing and the remaining challenger against Maggie Guterall, who went on to claim overall victory. This is a superb competition which really brings out the best in people. If you haven't already, check out podcast 86 from race director Lazarus Lake and podcast 87 from Maggie Guterall, winner of this year's Big Dogs Backyard Ultra. These three podcasts make for an epic sequence to be enjoyed. And if you listen carefully, there are some great tips for those preparing to step up to the starting line of a backyard ultra. Before we start, I'd just like to give a quick mention to the sponsors of this episode, Atlas Running. They are holding the Castle Ward Backyard Ultra in County Down, Northern Ireland on the 15th of February. For those Game of Thrones followers, Castle Ward's farmyard is the location of the infamous Winterfell, where a lot of the filming was done for the series. It's a great course. It's going to be a challenging time of year. There's going to be some great people there. I'm going to be there hoping to go the distance, so it'll be great to see you join us. It's without further delay, I give you Will Hayward. So have you bought anything in the Black Friday sale? Uh, I did not know. <laughs> they say the best thing to get, the best um, discount you can get is go for a trail run. And you'll save 100% yeah. on the sales. Um, so it's, it's actually not much of a thing over here. Yeah, it's not really much of a thing anywhere, I don't think, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Just consumes your time. So you went for a 55-kilometer cool-down yesterday. How'd that go? Uh, that was okay, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a, you know, a bit of a tester, see what's going on in the body. Uh, I made the mistake of running with a friend of mine who's pretty quick. Uh, she's, a, she's one of Hong Kong's top, top trail runners, so I did the first four and a half hours with her and felt great, and then... And then we were in different events, so she went. She went her way. I went mine, and suddenly realised I was actually, you know, pretty sharp. But uh, yeah, it was good. Okay, it was a different level event, was it? You were doing the fifty-five k. Was there a longer distance in that race? Is that the one she was? Doing? Yeah, they do a they do a fifty miler and a hundred miler as well. What's the weather like and the temperature at the minute? Right now, it's uh, pretty. It's it's a little bit warm, uh, but pretty ideal trail running. So it's maybe. 
mid-20s, like 24, 25, would be at the heat of the day, um, and then, you know, cooler in the morning. Um, but, you know, all, all summer when I was training for bigs, it was like, you know, 33 and really high humidity. And uh, so compared to that, it's great. Yeah, I think we've got about eight degrees outside. So hmm. right. <laughs> sounds pretty great to me, <laughs> even being honest. Um, how long have you been in Hong Kong? You're from New Zealand originally. Is that from right? New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, so I've been here on and off 20 years. Um, I left 2000, uh, end of 2013 and had three and a half years back in New Zealand and then came back here two and a half years ago. Cool. Like, so New Zealand is pretty awesome place for trail running. Um, it is, but when I, when I lived there, uh, well, so we, uh, when I was back from three and a half years, uh, I'd got into it. Um, but I was living in the middle of Auckland. So, you know, you have to drive out. Um, but yeah, it's some amazing, amazing country. Yeah. So can you remember your first ultra run that you did? Was it in New Zealand or Hong Kong? Yeah, my first ultra was the Kepler Challenge uh, in New Zealand, which is on a, there's a bit, in New Zealand there's about eight great walks, which are like classic, you know, uh, hikes, you know, three or four days. Um, and uh, now quite a lot of them have races, and the Kepler was, I think, one of the first. So it's a 60K loop, uh, spectacular countryside in, in kind of uh, southwest South Island, so Fjordland. So you're up, you know, up high overlooking the lakes and there's mountain peaks around you and it's very kind of Lord of the Rings-esque. Yeah, what, what sort of drew you to that race then? You're always an outdoor sort of person. Um, I guess that I was, uh, oh yeah, always liked being outdoors. Hadn't done a whole lot of like multi-day hiking, um, you know, mountain climbing, kayaking, because they're things that some of my friends were into. Um, but definitely, like my family, you know, we, we'd go out, you know, for the day, you know, go for a hike, have a picnic, that kind of thing. And we'd also every year go camping for like three weeks uh, in a, you know, pretty rustic campsite. And just, you know, you wake up by the sound, of the sound of the water lapping on the beach and, you know, the kids all just disappear off all day. Class. So, yeah, so, so always, always had the outdoor experience. So 60 kilometers was it you said the first event? Yeah, yeah. What, seemed, like, seemed like a long way. Yeah, what the heck? So what made you sign up for 60K? I guess I'd been doing marathons. Uh, not, not a lot, but, you know, four or five. And I was kind of interested in combining. I kind of learned that there were these races on trails. I, I mean, this, so this is about 10 years ago, and I didn't really know much about trail running. Um, and then, I, yeah, I learned that there were these races, and... Uh, I was kind of had a hankering. We were in Hong Kong. I, I had a hankering to, you know, get out into the New Zealand wilderness somehow, some you know, kind of midlife crisis kind of thing. Um, and uh, I figured that if, when with this race, if I could convince my wife to go to, down to Fjordland, which I thought probably could because it's a beautiful place to go for a holiday, you know, I'd probably get a pass for a day to kind of go 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 do a race. So, uh, so it seemed like a good way of like experiencing you know, all this countryside that I probably wasn't going to have a chance to go away for, you know, days on end, you know, hiking. But uh, yeah, but maybe I, I could run. It sounds like you have a very understanding wife then. Oh, extremely. Yeah. yeah. How important yeah very long suffering. How important do you think that is though when you're in, in this sport? I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what we do, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a classic thing that we're all struggling with career. We're struggling with family and we're struggling with this, you know, this hobby that, can be all consuming obviously and you know needs to i mean certainly i feel like it should be third place in that you know in that hierarchy you know family's number one 
and then you know obviously you know committing to my work and doing that properly and then somehow finding time to do do, the, do this other thing um so i think yeah you know you really you need the support from your family and you need to be yeah just cognizant of you know how do i fit this in um you know and and that's that's a lot of you know negotiating and a lot of deciding okay well maybe it's not so necessary i was supposed to do a five hour on this weekend but if i can just get a couple hours in you know the, the sky is not, not going to fall um but then it's definitely helpful to have you know a partner and a family that say okay well look we yeah we we would have liked to have gone out you know that afternoon but if you want to go do that run that's fine we can you know we can manage yeah um, so cool. yeah do you ever yeah. have you ever been on holiday where you haven't booked a run uh, oh, he's he's going into deep thought here. <laughs> when you say booked a run, I mean I I mean I'll take my running shoes everywhere. Yeah, I'll I'll always go for go for a run, but it might be yeah, it might just be a half hour, you know, or an hour. But you haven't um, you you don't always book a race when you go on holiday. No, I would. Uh, yeah, I'd say generally, I've, if I'm on holiday, I'm not racing, and if I'm racing, like I'm like most of my races like overseas are just me. The family stays at home, um, unless it's somewhere. Uh, so they came down down to Kepler. That was great. Uh, they came one year, well, the first year I did Western States. They came to, came to California. That was great too. Um, but you know, my kids are teenagers, so they're busy. You know, Dad's crazy. Uh, you know, athletic midlife crisis is not you know that high on their uh, you know their priority list. So that really was sort of drifting towards the next question. What do your kids think about their dad doing this crazy shit? I mean, I've kind of, so when, when I started doing it, uh, I guess 10 years ago, you know, my daughter was two and my son was six. So, you know, over their childhood, they've kind of grown up, you know, he, he used to do these kind of shorter things and now he does these much, much longer things occasionally, not, not all the time. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, you know, they're just kind of used to it. That's who the dad is, you know, doesn't really phase them. Has it fate, has it sort of drifted onto them slightly? Are they sporting in any way or form? Uh, they are. Uh, I mean, not not they're not runners. Other of them, um, obviously, it's still early days, and you know, when you get into things in your thirties and forties, you know, uh, uh, anything's possible. Um, my daughter is very passionate about ballet, and she's doing like five ballet classes a week, um, and has really. Uh, uh, you know, learn that, well, like, well, A, she, she has like an internal passion for it and B, she's learned that this is an activity that if I, you know, pay into it, I get, to, I, I get stuff out of it. You know, I, I see myself develop, I see myself doing better. Um, and so that's a really cool thing, you know, for, for her to learn. And my son is, uh, you know, 16, so kind of organize, <laughs> organize activities are no longer very cool, but, uh, yeah, uh, say no yeah. More. yeah, but sport, sport is very, instrumental in that isn't it you're trying i'm trying to gift it to my kids who are 12 and 13 obviously it's their choice what they want to do with that but it's important to cool. learn you know the gift of it really is learning that if you put something in you get something out definitely um you mentioned 30 to 40 years old there um what is it about i started running when i was 35 you also mentioned the word midlife i thought it was my midlife crisis but somebody told me it was just my first one which was worrying <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what is it do you think? Because I I entered CCC this year and I was surprised to see the average age was forty one. Do you think it's just an awareness thing? Is it a midlife crisis thing? Is it just a new life? 
sort of springing into action? I mean, I think with with me, it was a few things. It was it was partly the kind of drivers of, you know, am I getting old? So does that mean I'm slowing down? So what can I do? You're not necessarily to to reverse that process, but you know, uh, uh, can I still you know have a have a body that's capable of doing you know. Uh, um, not not athletic achievements, but you know that's that's capable of doing something you know that that maybe I couldn't do before, mm-hmm. um, and that's the cool thing about about endurance sport, right? I mean, I if I race my twenty year old self over five k's, you know, my fifty one year old self would get killed, but <laughs> but you know my 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 twenty year old self wouldn't you know couldn't run an ultra to save his life, so uh, so yeah, so that's kind of a cool thing I think to develop, and you know, and over my ten years in the sport. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not getting faster, but I'm definitely getting stronger. And yeah. so, yeah, so it's kind of cool to see that development. It just continues the growth then, and just in a different direction, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think too, you know, you do then. It, it, it's up to you what challenges you seek, and and different people see different challenges. Some people come into the sport for a couple of years, you know, run a couple of ultras, and then go, "Wow, that's great that I could do that." Now, what's the next thing? You know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that's fantastic, you know, because yeah, you don't, you, like, you don't have to keep doing this thing, right? You, you, there might be other sides to your personality that you want to explore, you know, uh, maybe you can paint, you know, maybe you can play the piano, um, you know, you can explore how well you can do that. I mean, I mean, that's what it's about. So, um, but then, you know, if you stay in the sport and, you know, I've been in the sport for a while now, um, yeah, like, do you want to get, you know, faster? Do you want to you know, push the age group categories? Do you want to try doing things that got more vertical? Do you want to do more adventure activities? Um, yeah, and then you kind of end up, you know, running loops. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, those other guys that sort of drift away from the ultra run and just haven't met Laz yet. Yeah, that's right. So what is it about, Hong Kong's absolutely beautiful outside the big cities, like the trails and the hills are absolutely amazing. And maybe just answered the question really, but what is it about trail running that you love? Um, I think in a place like Hong Kong, it's, it's kind of so necessary, but it's also so available. Um, you know, the, 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 the pace of life here is pretty frenetic. Um, you know, pressure's on, people work long hours, um, and uh, so you need some kind of release. And so, you know, so of course it's a party town, right, for exactly those reasons. Um, but um, but it's got all these incredible trails and they're all so accessible. Um, you know, I can just from my house, I go along the street and go up some stairs and then I'm on trails and I can run to work, you know, and be and be off road most of the time. Um, some of it's concrete, but uh, but a lot of it is, you know, dirt trail as well. Um, and if you go out to the, you know, onto the, the mainland side, you know, closer to, to the border with China, I mean, I was the, the race I was doing at the weekend was out there. And, you know, we, we did 3,000 meters of vertical and 50 k's. Um, you know, went high up and, you know, had great views over Shenzhen on, on the mainland side, you know, and then, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the areas of Hong Kong as well. I mean, it's incredible. Um, and, yeah, it's very special. It's, it's very unique in that regard. Do you, do you think your body and your mind are sort of benefiting from that? Do you feel better every time you come back? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do it. Um, uh, I, think, I think another reason, you know, to come back to the, you know, why do you do it in your 40s and 50s? I mean, for me, it was definitely about as I took more senior roles at work, I just needed a way to deal with the stress I was accumulating. 
And so it's actually a pretty linear correlation. You know, if you look at my mileage, uh, you know, each kind of promotion I've got, you know, that's been a you know, yeah. tick up in how long I've needed to go. We sort of running away from it. Um, have you ever been injured in that period then and seen how, have you ever really had an injury that sort of held you out for a few months? I mean, I've been pretty lucky. So, uh, no, I've never had an injury that's kept me out, you know, more than, say, a week. I'll just touch wood on my... Uh, no, I'm, I'm touch, touching wood for you here as well. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, obviously, it's, you know, it's something you've got to be very mindful of, and especially as you get older, you know, that's a real, uh, uh, you know, challenge. Um, no, I mean, I keep my mileage, you know, uh, decent, but I'm not a high mileage person. I mean, I'd, I'd be... Um, you know, like, a, like if I'm doing a block leading up to a big event, my heaviest weeks are going to be maybe 110, 120 Ks. Um, you know, often I'll be doing like 80, 90 Ks. Um, so, you know, that's, I mean, it's definitely a, a solid, you know, uh, a week, but yeah, it's not, it's not crazy. And I think too, I've just kind of learned what my body can cope with. Um, and I've got, I've been working for a couple of years with Scotty Hawker as my coach. Um, and that's been great too. And, and, you know, working with someone for a while is, you know, they really learn also kind of, you know, what your body responds to. Uh, so he's very good about managing that load, uh, you know, making sure. Because, yeah, I would definitely sometimes want to get out, be all excited, and he'll be like, hang on, let's just, you know, sit back and, uh, yeah, take it a little bit easy. Yeah, no, I'm actually sitting here now on the podcast, my foot on a block of ice, rub my foot. <laughs> um, no, I could relate to what you were saying there because I'm a manager in my own job. And being injured right. out from the mountains, you know, your stress levels are different in work than when you're out running in the trails. You know, yeah. you get a huge release from that. Um, but it's important just to focus on what you can do. You know, if you can't run, then walk or, you know, take the dog for a walk on the trails. It still gives you the same sort of effect on that. Um, you talked about the Great Western State there. I'm really interested in that. It's a race that I would love to get into myself. Um, I don't know if it's another midlife crisis or what, but how did you get into that race to begin with? uh pure luck really so it was kind of a so the the first ultra i did that kepler challenge got me i don't know whatever it was like the minimum um utmb points needed to get into ccc and a friend of mine was running ccc and said oh we should go and do that together so we went to ccc and then and i and actually i uh it was like the first time i'd done like a big you know big event like that and i was actually really more interested in just soaking up the experience to the first like uh, to the first stage really slowly with with my buddies uh they're a bit slower than me so then i kind of took off but i was now like really at the back of the field and so i spent the next like i don't know 15 hours just you know saying uh scoozy as i try, try to get past people <laughs> yeah. so um so i was pretty slow but then i just discovered that i i just sneaked into the western states qualifying time so I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll put an entry, entry into Western wow. States. What time was that? And that was 2013. Sorry, what, what time um, was the qualifying time? Oh, I think it was, I think I did it CCC in like 18, and the okay. qualifying time was maybe 18 and a half, something like that. Um, and with one ticket in the lottery, I got, I got, got my ticket pulled. So uh, I felt felt quite shameful, really. How did, how did you, were, were you excited? Were you scared when your name was pulled out? How did you feel? Very surprised, I think is the answer. <laughs> um, it was also pretty early in my kind of ultra career, yeah. such as it is. And so so actually, I didn't know that much about the race. I knew it was like, a, you know, one you should do. I think uh, the movie Unbreakable had come out. So I saw that. 
and I, you know, looked, you know, so it's still pretty cool. But yeah, but I really didn't know that much about, you know, even the sport really. Um, but the great thing that happened was through Twitter, I just connected with some uh, people living locally, and they became my crew at my paces. Um, okay. And they're still like lifelong friends now. And I've actually, I, I was lucky enough to go back a second time, so they kind of you know crewed me again. So so yeah, so it's really cool that you know how you kind of my association with Western States is now really an association with them. Uh, brilliant. So, what time did you get in the the first time doing it? Then did you break the twenty four hours? No, first time was twenty six, twenty two, or twenty three, something like that. Um, it was my first hundred miler, uh, and <laughs> I uh, yeah, I I I uh, bonked hard in the canyons. Uh, at one point, was lying on the trail. Both my calves had cramped at the same time. Uh, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't reach my toes to relieve them. They were just like excruciatingly painful. And I was thinking, and, and I, this is like maybe mile 49. So, so I'm thinking, how, I don't even know if I get to get to the next aid station, let alone to the end. And, um, but, you know, managed to, you know, get up and uh, took a break at the next aid station. And then, yeah, and then once I got running again, and once the day cooled down, actually had a, had a pretty good evening. Uh, and so, yeah, so finished it, you know, well within the cutoffs. What you described there sounds pretty normal to me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the second time round? What learning? Yeah, did so, you... so, second, so, so second time I, I got in under 24, so I think that was 23.45. What was the difference in the two for you? Was it just a preparation or? I think it was more experience. So that was probably, I don't know, maybe fourth or fifth hundred miler. Um, I, was, uh, I was fitter. I was working with Scotty, so... Uh, I was, I definitely had, I think, a faster kind of baseline speed that I could maintain, you know, without putting myself into, you know, into real debt. Um, I'd also done a, this 300K thing, the Hong Kong Four Trails Ultra Challenge, which is like, yeah, crazy. So that was like almost 72 hours. And so Com completing that, you know, gave me a lot of confidence as well, and yeah, you know, just a lot more experience about the highs and the lows and how to manage them. What what sort of climbing's in the Great Western State? Sorry, how much climbing? Yeah, how much? Climbing? Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think from memory, it's about um, uh, maybe four thousand, five thousand meters up, and then about 7,000 down because you start high and you and you finish low yeah so the 24 hours i mentioned there in 100 miles that's that's the real big cherry on the cake for ultra runners in the great western state and what is it yeah you, sure is it a buckle you receive for that is it a silver so buckle? you get a different color so yeah you get, you get a bronze buckle for under 30 and a silver buckle for under 24. so that must be a bit of pride and place in your home somewhere definitely and you mentioned the Hong Kong four-day. So, again, what the heck? What made you decide to sign up for that? That sounds pretty awesome like and hard and painful. Yeah, so it's four trails. Um, basically, you know, as, as we were talking about, Hong Kong is kind of a trail mecca. There's trails everywhere. But there's four long ones that are kind of maintained by the government. And kind of the idea is that, you know, people would hike like a couple of stages at a time and, you know, over you know, a few months might do the whole thing. And then, of course, people started running them individually. And then my friend Andre Bloomberg had the idea of putting them together into a single event, which is very low-key. It's kind of fat-ass, 
he provides no support at all, um, except for uh, he organizes kind of trackers. So you can kind of track where everyone is and, and he can track where people are. Um, but, uh, but you really, uh, uh, it's, you know, you, you have to be very self-reliant. And the, the trails range from the shortest one's 50K and the longest one's 100K. Um, on the trail, you're allowed no crew support at all. So there are some, sh on some of the trails, there are some shops. Uh, there are, on some of them, there are vending machines. Um, there are water sources on most of them. Um, but yeah, you have to be completely self-reliant, uh, except for that. And then at the end of the trail, you, your crew pick you up and then they drive you to the next one. And in transition, you have all, all the support you want. You know, you can have your portable jacuzzi. Um, but then once you start the next trail, then yeah, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's back to you. Yeah, God help your crew then. That's all I can say. Mm. They're sitting waiting for you to finish and then pick you up and drop you off again. They need to be pretty Yeah, committed. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's simultaneously a good thing and a bad thing to crew because you don't see your runner for like 15, maybe 18 hours. Um, but then you need to be there and you need to be like on song because because the clock's ticking the whole time. So it ticks like it starts at the start of the first trail and then it's ticking through everything you're doing. And, and actually the last transition, you need to get a ferry and the ferry only goes quite irregularly. So if you time it badly, then yeah, you can lose a, you know, an hour or two uh, just kind of sitting at the, at the ferry dock. Yeah, it sounds like you have done quite a lot then before you come into 2019. You've quite a few hundred mile races and some of the big epic ones behind you. Um, and the ultra running obviously is a journey of growth, isn't it? Like and learning, you know, when we start at the beginning, I'm pretty early on in that stage, to be honest. Um, you learn about what your stomach sort of can handle you learn all those me mental barriers about knocking them down in the races you learn a lot about yourself i suppose which sort of brings you then to this pinnacle of a race um i'm not just quite there yet but 2019 then starting that how many hundred mile races have you done before that um i think uh, maybe five okay just going through that process you've been learning and learning all the way through coming into 2019 yeah yeah that's right that's right um, actually four yeah so four between 2019 and i've actually done three this year yeah. <laughs> you're getting greedy then yeah well so the start of year start of the year am i right to say you've done three ultras in two weeks yeah so there's a uh <laughs> so i did the Hong Kong 100 which is like an ultra trail wood tour event uh, which I did incredibly badly, went way too fast at the start, blew up. Not quite a death march for the second half, but yeah, it was, it was pretty painful. Um, and then foolishly, I'd signed up two weeks later to do a double. Yeah, so it, technically two, but it's kind of they're packaged together. So on the Friday night at midnight, you start a 50 miler, uh, which has got, got like 5,000 meters vertical. So it's, it's pretty gnarly. And then you finish that kind of early evening on the Saturday and then go to bed, wake up the next morning, come back and do a 50K. The 50K has got three and a half thousand meters vertical. So it's just the whole thing is up, up and down, up and down. Um, so yeah, so that was, uh, that was a good challenge. And how, how did you find the start stop? Would you prefer that or would you prefer just to keep going? I think it's easier to keep going. Mm. Um, uh, People say in that race, you know, the hardest thing is to wake up Sunday morning and come back to the start line. And there's a lot of people that don't. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th I think generally once you start something, it's easier just to, you know, seat your eye on the finish line, know where it is, and then try and get there. Okay. How, how did you get entry into the big dog's backyard then? Was it through? So it was through a qualifying event in Hong Kong. 
So okay. my friend Steve Carr, who runs, there's a group of them uh, who organize races here called Race Space. And uh, yeah, he, along with people all around the world, uh, you know, Les was kind of indicating that he was open to, you know, qualifying races. And so, yeah, they uh, sent Les a message. And, uh, you know, before he knew it, he had a golden ticket race uh, for Big's Backyard. That's pretty awesome, like, isn't it? How long's that? Um, what did you call the backyard, sorry, in Hong Kong? So it's it's a big big boar's backyard challenge. As in the pig? There are, yeah, there are kind of wild boar roaming through uh, Hong Kong trails, so they're, they're pretty common to see. How long, how many years has that been running then? Uh, that has run a total of one year. Okay, so you're the only yeah. winner of that race. Correct. The only person Correct. that hasn't, yes. hasn't not finished that race. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was it draw you, drew you to that type of event? Because it's a totally different thing altogether. Yeah, I mean, so I, I was aware of Biggs. Um, I'd followed uh, two years ago when Guillaume and Harvey kind of went at it for years, for, for hours and hours. Um, and then uh, and then last year was kind of like, you know, to, you know, pressing refresh on my browser, you know, as uh, as Johan and Courtney and Gavin, you know, went through for a long time. So, and yeah, and obviously just quite an intriguing format. Um, uh, you know, I'd never done any kind of, you know, 24-hour race or, you know, uh, uh, any kind of loop-based event. Um, uh, but uh, I thought it was... Yeah, potentially something just interesting to experience. And the nice thing about it is, you know, if it really sucks, like if it's the stupidest thing you've ever done, then <laughs> you just stop. Like, you know, just do that loop and finish. Like there's, you know, you're not out in the middle of nowhere. You're not like five hours from the nearest town. You know, you just go to the finish line, pick up your bag and, you know, get a taxi out of there. So um, so that was, that was quite appealing. Uh, yeah, every ultra, yeah. every ultra race, you know, that is a danger. There's always that low point where you could just pick up your bag and leave, though. But that that's one thing that makes the backyard format so challenging, right? Yeah. Is are you going to be dogged by those thoughts or not? Um, and because uh, if they get in your head, like, it's very hard to get rid of them. Yeah. Uh, it's so easy to quit. Yeah. So just give me, I got told off last week for not giving a brief description about the what's in a backyard event. I just assume that everybody knows, um, but not everybody follows it in the same way we do. So just give me a brief description about that race, the format. Yeah, so so the idea is that uh, you have to run within an hour, a uh, 4.167 mile loop uh, or 6.7 Ks, um, which is, you know, if you're a, a you know, reasonably fit runner, that's not very hard to do. So that takes a certain amount of time. You know, maybe 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes, maybe 53 minutes. Um, however long it takes, then at the end of that loop, you, you're back at the, at the start-finish line. You can sit down, you can have a drink, get some food, chat to your friends. But then on the next hour, you need to be back on the start line again, and the same thing repeats. And it repeats and repeats and repeats until there's only one runner left in the race. So everyone else has to drop out of the race for there to be a final winner. So the last one standing then. Um, how many people yeah. entered the big boar backyard? Uh, it was a, a boutique event. I think there were 15 of us on the, on the start line. Wow. And what was your strategy going into the race? Um, strategy is probably too strong a word for it, I think. Um, 
<laughs> I guess, well, so the first thing was uh, it was organized a little bit late, and I'd already signed up for a really mountainy 100-miler in the Philippines, which is a hard rock qualifier. So it's like got 11,000 meters of, you know, vertical wow. gain. Um, and crit, like, it's a great event. It's the hardcore 100-miler. It's a you know, fantastic event, really remote. Um, you know, really, you know, it feels, it feels very adventurous. And, um, but obviously, you know, so training for that, you need to do, you know, doing, a, you know, a lot of hills and, and, you know, really working on strength and stuff. And so, um, uh, so going into the, so the big boys backyard was about a month ahead of that. So I was actually, uh, thinking, you know, I don't, I mean, I'd, I'd seen these races you know, following them online, you know, the Biggs Backyards, that seemed to go for hours and hours. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to get into a battle that's going to go for three, day, three <laughs> days, right? Because that's going to screw me, you know, for the, this Philippine race. Um, but I thought that I could probably get to 24 hours and do 100 miles. And I thought well, that'd be pretty cool, right? Because as you say, you know, doing 100 miles and 24 hours is, you know, it's, it's, it's not nothing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that was kind of what I was interested to see. Could I... Uh, tolerate, you know, the repetition. Um, would I find that interesting? Would that be really boring? Um, and then, you know, could I stick it out, you know, for 24 hours, um, get to 100 miles, and then see what was happening? But, uh, you know, so some of uh, the other people in the race, you know, definitely had, uh, you know, pretty strong resumes. And so I thought, you know, probably they would, you know, go longer. Um, and so I was thinking that probably by 100 miles there'd be a few of us, but there'd still be some more going. And I didn't really want to get into a, a long duel. So I was thinking probably I'd, I'd drop at 24. Okay, so how did that, how did it go when you got to 24 then? Because there was only... Well, yeah, so what happened instead was uh, <laughs> people, found it, people found it much tougher than they thought it was going to be, right? I mean, running, running 6.7 k's an hour, how hard can that be? Well, it turns out it gets pretty hard even if you're, you know, like, a, you know, very strong, you know, athlete. Um, you know, people picked up injuries. I mean, that's quite common. And, you know, in this, the format is so relentless that if you come in even with a little niggle, you know, it'll just find you out. Um, and you don't have the same ability to kind of play with it that you do in a normal race where you might go, okay, well, I'll go slow this section and then speed up on that other section where it's not going to matter so much because of the terrain or whatever. You know, in, in the backyard, it's always the same. And so if it's hurting, it's just going to keep hurting and it's going to hurt more and more and more. Um, so actually, by uh, about 20 hours, there were only two of us left. Um, and, uh, yeah, Jeez. so uh, so Alfair, who was uh, I was my competitor, was uh, he was on a completely different schedule to me. So we kind of see each other at the start-finish line. And then we'd be uh, going quite, it was kind of an out and back. So we would see each other, but uh, at quite different times. Uh, and it became clear he had the same strategy as me. He wanted to get to 24 hours, but he had no desire to go further either. Yeah. So that, that must be a very difficult point though, you know, to get to 24 hours when you're in that mindset to actually try and go past that. So if he, if he was in that mindset, so he dropped then at 24, did he? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why didn't you drop at 24 as well? And if you were both sitting thinking that way, golden, t well, golden I guess ticket in your that, mind. Yeah, I mean, so we, we were aware that for the race to have a winner, someone needs to go further, right? So actually, and this is, this is not at all exaggerating or embellishing the truth. We spent about three loops 
trying to persuade the other one to go to 25, right? Yeah. I was saying to Elfair, come on, mate, you're looking good. I'll drop at 24 because I was feeling quite ill and, you know, it was, yeah, I just wasn't really enjoying it. I'll stop at 24, you go on. And I have to say too, at this point in the race, I was thinking, well, look, the, the, the prize for this race is a ticket to Big's Backyard. I have no desire to do one of these races ever again, right? So, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't want that prize. So, um, yeah. So my only problem was he had the same, exactly the same feeling. And he actually did seem to be even worse than I would like. He really was not going to go on further. So in my mind, and, and you know, maybe he's just you know, a, a good uh, poker player, but um, my sense was that, okay, either I'm going to do one more loop or we're both going to drop. There's going to be no winner. And then the first big boys back challenge is not going to have a winner. That's, it's just not very good for the race, right? So, so I kind of felt like, hey, look, someone should win. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty average runner, so I don't, I don't win races very often. So, well, you know, that's, that's kind of cool as well. Um, but yeah, it, w- it definitely wasn't like a monumental, you know, uh, athletic achievement in that sense. Uh, it was kind of like it literally was, I found myself the last one standing. <laughs> it's quite a difficult thing, like, isn't it? Because I'm sort of jousting with it, with it at the minute. Um, it's something I really, really want to do to see how far I can go. Um, but I'm practicing on a local football pitch and I have to do eight loops just for one loop. Um, so I've done four loops the other day, which was 32 loops of this pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself, like, why am I doing this? Like, why? <laughs> but every time I stopped then, it was like, I really, really want to do this. But you, it really does play with your head, doesn't it? When you're doing these loops, you're like, this is not why I got into ultra running and trail running at all. And then every time I'm stopping, I'm like, right, I need to do an extra loop next time I come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... Definitely the community aspect to it is really important, I think, that you start off with a group of people and, you know, depending on the situation, maybe you know some of them, maybe you don't, right? So at Biggs, I didn't really know anyone. I, I knew Katie Wright from social media. We we kind of got in touch when we both won our respective uh, races. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I, I didn't know any of, the, any of the other runners. So, but, you know, even so, you start off with this group of people and then, you know, you're on a journey together and, you know, different people, you know, play different parts in that journey, you know, experience the journey differently. But even then the cool thing with the event, right, even when you drop out, and, and this we had this at Big Boars as well here, people would drop out and then just hang around, right, stay, um, you know, start helping the other runners just help keep the, you know, the race director sane, you know, because he's sitting there most, you know, for 45 minutes, he's there by himself, right? So, uh, you know, keeping company. Um, and people would, and because it was actually, it's kind of right downtown. So people would go away, you know, to get a couple hours sleep and then come back and then, you know, find that there's still a few of us running. So, so that's an incredibly cool thing about it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't see myself doing like a loop-based time trial you know, yeah. where I'm kind of running loops on end just by myself. But when you put it in that context with people, it does take on a completely different complexion. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping to sort of create the worst case scenario. So then when I go into the race, <laughs> yeah, it's like not taking caffeine in your training and then going into the race and taking plenty of caffeine. Yeah, 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 right. Um, right. But I did find, one thing I do find, because I'm on my own, I'm finding the experience totally different as if I'm almost having to 
sort of run within myself because you're in your you're in your own head and you're running a lot slower than usually would be running because I'm trying to hit around 10 and a half 11 minute mile with a game plan of maybe a 12 minute mile because there's some hills in the course that we do here in Northern Ireland um but I'm trying to learn patience mm-hmm. do you find that it was different experience for yourself that you sort of almost have to it's almost a meditative state that you're trying to put yourself in and just to get through that loop Definitely. And I, I think for me, what I kind of discovered through it was, you know, we go right back, you know, why did I get into ultra running? Well, so I was already a runner. Like I've, I obviously found some value in that, but, uh, but I got much more meaning once I started going along and once I started you know, doing the adventure stuff, right. And going out, out into the mountains. Um, but along with that, you know, from doing that regularly, uh, I then found this kind of inner journey as well that actually, you know, it's a time for me to be kind of in a flow state. Um, and it's a time for me, uh, you know, to be mindful in some sense. Um, like what I find, you know, when I'm, when I'm running, say, you know, I'll often do a run commute. So maybe I've, you know, I've been at work and I'll run home. And a typical run for me is, you know, as I start, I'm still thinking about, you know, that meeting I've, I've just been in or that report that I need to, you know, finish off. Um, but within, you know, 15 minutes or so, that's drifted away and now I'm just running and, you know, there's that, you know, that, that litter box and there's that rock and there's that tree. Um, and just come in the moment and by the time I get home, then, you know, I'm feeling quite calm and, you know, the stress has kind of been lifted off um, because I've just been in the moment. And so, you know, that's, that's one component of, like, that's not the only reason I run, but that's a component that I've kind of developed over time that, that, and kind of almost by accident, I think. I, I just discovered, oh, yeah, this is something I get from running. And so when you do UTMB, right, then you're exploring that the hard side of running. Like, can I climb those mountains? Can I cope with the weather? Um, and you're probably doing that more than, than, you know, some of the other aspects of running. Well, I think doing like a backyard it's similar in the sense, but now you're really focused on that internal side. You're seeing, well, how strong is that? Um, and look, different people are going to react to that differently. I mean, you know, some people are going to say, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And, you know, I hate yeah. that. But, but it's a surprising number of people that maybe go into it thinking this is going to be really repetitive and boring, but then actually find, oh, wow, actually, there's really something in this that is, is quite meaningful. An element of peace within the pain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, then, and, and, and then just seeing, so how far can I drive that, you know, and that's the other kind of intoxicating thing about the backyard is that, you know, it's an event that you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and unless you're the last one, you get to do that as far as you want, right, and and you're the one that kind of determines how far that goes, so so that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, that's pretty mental. Um Tell me about the time that you received your golden ticket then. It was actually the coin, isn't it? Yeah. Who did you receive that from? Uh, from the race director that, uh, that, for, the Hong Kong, for the Hong Kong one, yeah. Okay, the time on that actual race that you actually, when you were the last one standing? Yeah, yeah, at the end. It? So I, I came in 25th hour and he had the coin there and, you know, so yeah. Um, so how long was there between that race and Biggs? Uh, about six months. So that was April, uh, and because obviously October. So yeah, actually plenty of plenty of time to figure out, you know, whether this is something I should be doing. And you done the hundred mile race a month after the 
the pause. Yeah, so May, so then kind of recovered pretty quickly from that uh, and then almost immediately went into a taper, yeah, for the 100 miler. Did that and then said, okay, I've got, because I've done by that stage like like five ultras in the first, you know, five months of the year. So, so it took about six weeks, uh, you know, pretty much off. I mean, going for the odd jog here and there, but not in any, any structured way. And so came back, start of July. I'd kind of, in June, I'd, I'd slowly built back up to maybe like 30, 40 Ks a week. And then, so in July, I was able to kind of get back into a solid block. So kind of July, August, September, I uh, was training pretty solidly. And, and really, Biggs was the aim to, like through all that time. So coming into Biggs then, um, what was it like seeing Lars for the first time? That was great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got, uh, I, I, I was yeah, showing some, photo, some friends and some photos of the event. And the first photo is me and him. And I'm saying, look, you know, people ask me why I was going. I mean, this was the reason I was going, to get a photo of me and Laz. And once I got that, I felt every, everything else was gravy. Yeah, it's a strange thing that for people that don't actually know Lars or follow the Barclay or Biggs, you know, because I did a podcast. The last two podcasts actually were with Lars and with Maggie. Yes, yes, I, I've I'm, both. Yeah. I'm walking into work with a thousand people and none of them know them. And I'm like, yeah. I don't believe what just happened. Like, <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay, I feel a bit of an alien walking around. So I do. There has to be somebody in this business can associate to what's just happened. <laughs> um, but going into the backyard, and that was pretty unique. Um, how many people were there in that event? Uh, 72, I think, on the start line. So we know it's like 72 of the world's best, really. Um, how did that make you feel? It was kind of interesting. So, you know, I've, I mean, I do consider myself a pretty average runner. I mean, I'm faster than some people. I'm slower than many other people. Um, so, look, so I'll, you know, I've done Western States a couple of times. I've done CCC. I've done, you know, some big events. You know, when, when I go into Western States, like I ran it the same year Jim Wormsley won it, right? Um, it wasn't like I felt intimidated that Jim Wormsley was on the line because he's running a different race from me, right? So, so it's cool to be in a race where these, there's these, you know, really impressive people. Um, but I wouldn't say that's intimidating. The thing with Biggs that I found a little bit, so I felt much the same way, you know, like, I, you know, as I said, I, I'd followed, you know, Guillaume and Harvey Lewis having, you know, this big battle. And, and Guillaume won doing 59 hours. Um, and I'd always thought that seemed just like an incredible achievement. Like, how would you do that? How, how would you go so long? And so then to come to the race, and he's there, right? And Maggie, you know, I definitely knew, you know, Maggie's, you know, record, you know, she's done States a couple of times, you know, was in the top 10 there, you know, has won, won lots of other events. Amelia Boone's there, and, you know, she's like this world, you know, four times, you know, obstacle racing champion. I mean, so just, just incredible people. Um, but I weirdly felt a little bit more intimidated than normal, and, and I couldn't quite figure it out. But I think it was because... I was thinking, well, you know, like, like this is something that I potentially could be more competitive in because I know that I can't run as fast as Jim Wormsley. That's just like physiologically true. But I don't know that I can't go as long as these people in this format. I mean, I, I, that was my expectation. But, um, but yeah, so, so I kind of, without really understanding it, I kind of looking back on it, yeah, I do think I was just kind of intrigued by how this was all going to play out. Um, and so, so yeah, but it was, 
it was great. You know, these these people, you know, some of them definitely have, you know, big, big profiles. Some of them not really big profiles, but if you know, you know, like I'm not sure how many people know who Gavin Woody is, but, you know, in the backyard, I mean, he's, you know, he's done like the third longest ever, you know, he's he's an incredible athlete. So, so yeah, so just to see people like that, to, to, to be chatting to them as you're doing loops, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you actually had built up a really strong CV as well coming up into especially 2019. You know, there's a lot of ultras under your belt um, and people don't really know the unknown. You know, especially they know a lot of the American runners, um, but there's a lot of question marks about the other whatever 60 runners that might be there. So it, yeah, sure. it is a huge unknown really when you're at the start of that race. Did you have time to sit down and take... A reflection of the boar's backyard then and bring some sort of learning across and think well i'm not going to do that or i'm going to do this yes yeah i mean the big thing that i brought was a better understanding of pacing yeah. so um so the big boar was on a pretty flat course it was actually largely pavement course in fact all pavement um and pretty flat so about the easiest course you could get um and so I was running loops around 47, 48 minutes, um, which is you know, pretty easy. Um, and then having quite a good break. Um, and I thought, well, that'll be good because then I can relax, you know, get, get the weight off my feet. Um, but actually, what I and, and my actually Alfea, who was the person that, that, that was the, the last, you know, the assist, uh, the last person uh, uh, not standing. Um, he was going slower. He was going about 55, 56 minute loops, having a shorter break. But, um, and even though I, you know, ultimately I did prevail there, I did feel like actually the benefit I was getting from a longer break was not really offsetting the extra energy I was putting into finishing the loop, even though I actually wasn't running that fast. And so I took a strategy into bigs that, that I really didn't need such a long gap and instead I should try and be more even in my pacing. I should try and walk more during the loop. Um, and so, yeah, so, so because I was averaging, I think around like 53, 54 minutes, obviously they got even, you know, uh, uh, even shorter toward, towards the end. Um, but yeah, but that, that worked pretty well. And then I had uh, a couple of friends come down um, uh, to crew me. Um, and so, that also meant so so in in big bore I didn't have a crew had to figure out everything myself so yeah it was definitely good to have a crew um, who could just you know prepare things have the drink ready have some food ready um, and also ultimately and what was really important kind of provide motivation you know uh, and that sort of thing um, you know pick my spirits up uh, that became very, very very important as well yeah because when you're in your when you're in your own head that can be dangerous I remember coming off the first climb in. The, the last three climbs in CCC, um, coming off the first climb, my IT band had gone, my stomach had gone about four hours ago, um, and I phoned my wife, <laughs> and I said, look, I think it's over. It's one o'clock in the morning, and she goes to me, look, you can't, you can't pull out, just strap your knee up and move on. And if she had said something to me totally different, I would have been out of yeah, that race. Um, that's right. That's but I just, right. I just made the decision, you know, okay, I'm going to time out rather than pull out. Yeah. And then I was yeah, okay. Yeah. I was able to finish the race fine. Like, um, mm. what time? It was unusual start and time to the race as well because it wasn't on the hour, was it? Mm. So six forty a.m. 
kind of timed with daylight. Okay. So we were getting ready and it was dark. And then, yeah, basically as the race started, the light started to lift. I think I had a headlamp for the first loop and it was kind of useful right at the start, but, but by the end of the first loop, it was, it was pretty light. How, how does Lars start each loop? I'm assuming he doesn't smoke a caramel cigarette every loop. No, he just rings, <laughs> rings his bell. So it's, it's whistles, uh, three minutes, two minutes, one minute, and then he rings okay. the bell. So you were really taking your, your strategy was really just to have a fuel stop rather than to have a rest? Basically, yes. yes. Some, some people are coming in maybe 10, I think Maggie came in with like 10, 12 minutes. She was trying to get a nap. Um, well, yeah, now obviously it's different in the day and the night. So that's okay. another thing to explain about, about Biggs uh, specifically is that for 12 hours of daylight, you're running on Les's farm. Um, which is a beautiful trail. It's pretty narrow. It's pretty uh, rocky and rooty, and it's up and down the whole way. So it's actually it's, it was more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, but it, but but it's lovely. And then at nighttime, you're running on the roads outside the farm. It's basically an out and back with a couple of turns. Um, so that's boring. Um, some people, and especially like uh, track runners, prefer the night because it's just easy running. Um, but uh, 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 yeah, it's uh, uh, it's easier. So what it means is that you can get more of a break overnight. So I think overnight I was averaging about fifty minutes uh, for the loops, having about ten. Uh, Maggie was yeah about forty-seven, forty-eight. Okay, so you're getting you're taking the opportunity at night time to take a bit of a rest in between as well, sort of gather yourself yeah, now, together. Yes, I mean, unlike Maggie, I was I didn't have a sleep strategy. So, I mean, a couple of times I kind of sat back in the chair and closed my eyes, but um, but yeah, I wasn't very organized around sleep. The reason for that was I assumed that my body was going to give in before my mind. I've done lots of uh, even two night events before and. Um, one night's no problem. Even the second night, I've kind of trained my mind to be able to go through that reasonably well. So yeah, so I basically figured, well, you know, sleeping is not going to be that important. Um, so it wasn't something I, I really focused on. Yeah. Do you prefer it at night time? I don't know what it's about me. Um, at the minute when I'm training, I'm training a couple of loops in the day and then going into the dark. But for some reason, when I transition into the dark, I just zone out. I, I think, I don't know, I, I stop thinking as much for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. I no, I prefer the day. I mean, I definitely prefer the trail, um, and uh, uh, to the point that I yeah. So the second night, I was keen to actually quit, and a lot of that was I just didn't want to get back on the road. It just seemed too hard. You know, I was sore. Um, I felt like I'd achieved you know more than I really intended to anyway, um, and. Uh, and, and I thought I wouldn't get through that night back to the trails. So I was like, well, what's the point? Yeah, um, it's very mindless on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about pace and the trail was quite, um, it's quite a lot of obstacles on the trail. It's quite narrow. It's, um, I heard of the V tree. Is that right? Yeah, you, yeah. It's a famous V tree. Are you going like, there's that V tree again. And cause I know on a loop course I've done before. Oh, there's that branch again. There's, yeah, yeah. Um, no, look, I think it goes one or two ways. So either these things, you go, oh, God, I can't believe I'm seeing this thing again. Or 
you yeah you can embrace it and, and you're kind of high-fiving way and and that was that was definitely my experience so i was always pleased to see all the landmarks oh i'm here again you know and of course the other thing that happens is that you start to know the time you should be at the place so you can then check your watch and see am i on time or not on time oh i'm a couple minutes down okay i'm gonna have to you know put some more pressure on um but um but no i uh yeah i mean I mean, it's an event where time goes very quickly and very slowly at the same time. You can completely do your head in. If you're like on the first day on the fourth loop thinking, okay, I've got eight more loops to do today on the same trail, and then I've got 12 loops to do on the road, and then maybe come back. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, no chance. So you have to just embrace the moment, you know, there's the V-tree. Oh, now there's that rock. Oh, no, go under that thing. And oh, here's the, you know, there, there are the steps. Um, and yeah, and just kind of like, they become, you know, almost your friends, right? Seeing them again. Um, and, and kind of, in, you know, in that kind of mindful way, the, the repetitiveness, it's kind of something to kind of hang your consciousness onto in some sense. Um, it's, just a, it's just a nice framework and you just kind of flow with it. Um, and when you do that, the really weird thing is that then in the evening, you're like, oh my God, it's, it's like 5.30 already. Like, where'd the day go, you know? Um, so yeah, so so then then time just streams by. It's, that's a very cool feeling. 25 loops you done on the previous backyard, um, which just got you over the 100 miles. Did you go in with a distance goal into Biggs? Well, so I told everyone I did not do that. And I kind of said on social media before I left, okay, everyone's asking me, how far are you gonna go up Biggs? My answer is one more lap. Uh, you know, and because uh, if, if you have a goal in mind, when you get there, you're going to stop. Mm. Um, and I, and I, and I, I totally understood that because I knew, yeah, I was feeling pretty uncomfortable at, you know, 24 and so when I got there, I was going to stop at Big Bull. Okay, so I'm saying I'm not going to have a limit. But then when I got there, and especially, so I got through, obviously I wanted to go further than I'd done here. Thought, you know, that you always, always want to try and push further. Um, yeah, I've been talking to you know a couple of friends, and they thought, oh, like doing like thirty loops would be like great, you know. And so, um, so on that second day, uh, uh, you know, we we started twenty four. We're going through, you know, so thirty is kind of lunchtime. I was pushing further and further, and getting towards thirty six. And at thirty six, that's going to be the end of the second day. You're going to switch back to the nighttime, and. Like I said, I had no desire to go back to the road. And what I became, what I came to realize was that actually I had unconsciously had 36 as a goal. Like I didn't, I didn't say that to myself. I didn't think that. But I was thinking, look, 36 hours, that's 150 miles. Like, you know, you can go home, all your friends are giving you press. Wow, you're in 150 miles. They're like, that, that's great, you know. <laughs> and, and by this stage, I mean, the other thing that happened in the race was, um, uh, you know, a lot of people stayed through to 24 hours, not all, um, but there was still about 44 people, I think, got through 24 hours. Um, and so I assumed, okay, these people have got through one night, we're going back on the trails, you know, it's nice, uh, it's daylight. Uh, I expected most of them to get through the second day. And I thought, you know, when we go to the second night, that's really going to be a challenge. And so that's when people are going to drop. But in fact, 
the 44 went down to 12 by the end of the second day. So every wow. loop during the day, people were dropping. And so as I was kind of thinking that 36 would be, a, you know, kind of like enough, I was, I, I was also getting further through the event than I thought it would. Like, oh, now I'm top 20. Like, wow, that, like, that's great. And so, yeah, so then, you know, I was also, as, as it got down to 12, I was like, look, I'm in top 12 at Biggs, like, you know, I'm in, I'm in Les's dirty, dirty dozen, like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's good. Um, so I told my crew that I was definitely going to drop. I was like, look, I'm, you know, I can't, can't go back to the road, can't face it. Um, but I foolishly told them to, you know, give me tough love. Uh, what I said to them was, when I finished the big bore, I was definitely ready to finish. I felt terrible. But then when I finished, I realized, oh, actually, I had quite a lot more to give. You know, I kind of thought I was not feeling well, but actually, I, I could have kept going. Um, so I wanted to kind of explore that. I wanted to push into the area where I was feeling un uncomfortable. So they just did that. You know, they said, look, you know, you came here to do more. There's no reason to stop. You know, keep going. You're now in the top 12, but, you know, you'd be the top 10. Um, and so... Uh, and so I found myself lacing up my road shoes to get back on the road. I didn't really know how this was happening, but, um, but yeah, but, but there I was. That's pretty cool. Like, who was the first um, big shock to you then? Because you talked about all the people that were sort of dropping out behind you, and there's some amazing people there. Who was the first yeah. person who was like, oh, shit, I can't believe they've dropped before me? I mean, the one I really remember is, is Guillaume Calmet. Because uh, he, you know, he would look really as an idol, you know, in the in the backyard format, um, and uh, uh, and he, he's a super super friendly guy as well. So we we chatted not a lot, but we chatted a little bit on the trails, and you know, he, he obviously like just a lovely guy, and uh, um, he'd been running loops, you know, a few minutes ahead of me. I mean, I was I was in the field, I, like I wasn't at the back, but I was definitely I'd say the slowest third probably. Uh, of the, especially once we got to that first night, you know, that I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely coming behind most of the other uh, uh, runners. So he was a few minutes ahead of me. And then there were a couple loops where as we were getting to the halfway point, I was coming past him. And I thought, oh, that's, that, that can't be good. You know, if, <laughs> you know, he's, he, he's normally, normally a few minutes ahead and here he is. And yeah, sure enough, his, you know, I think his knee had gone and, uh, and so he started on and he dropped, I think, one loop before 24 hours. So he came in just under the 100 miles. Wow. It's a surprise when things like that happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Completely shocking. Yeah, but 44 people just hitting the 100 mile mark, though. But it's still a huge gathering of people to hit the 100 miles because this, yeah, is, this yeah. isn't like running a 100 mile sort of ultra run. Um, and try and get that under 24 hours. There's so many things can go wrong and you haven't got time to react to them. That's why it's yeah. difficult. You know, it was a huge field that was out there. Um, you came to the, as you said there, Laz's Dirty Dozen and then moved into the top 10. What was it like? Which came first? Was it the 200 miles or the top 10? Uh, the top 10. So by the time we got to 200 miles, there were four of us left. Wow. So what did that feel like coming to 200 miles? What was, what was it like finishing that loop? That was, I mean, it was definitely cool. Like it was a marker. Um, uh, I was, I was, I was surprised that I, because that meant we got through the second night. 
right? Yeah. So I was surprised I got through, you know, two days, two nights. I was surprised that I got to 200 miles. I, uh, so I, this uh, Hong Kong Four Trails is 185 miles, uh, obviously with, with, with a lot more vertical. Um, but yeah, so 200 miles, so this is the longest, you know, I've ever run in my life in distance. Um, and I'm in the top four of, you know, this incredible event, all these storied athletes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and the four of us ran together for, you know, a few, like a good number of loops. Um, and it was, yeah, and it was a cool group because, you know, it was two men, two women, um, uh, uh, Maggie and Dave Proctor, both like outstanding, you know, athletes, uh, you know, great resumes, you know, won events, this kind of thing. And then Katie Wright and I were both, uh, you know, golden ticket winners, people that, you know, people wouldn't have known about before the event, um, but had, had won a backyard before and, and come with that. So it was nice. And I know that Les really liked the fact that he had this kind of final four that was a mixture you know, of the of the outstanding athletes uh, and the people that had you know come in through the, uh, the the qualifying system. Yeah, were you like it must have been pretty unique thinking you were 24 hours ago we were finishing the 100 miles. You know, because that in itself was a huge achievement. And here we are, we've managed to do another 100 miles. You're in exactly the same situation at exactly the same time, but yet you've banked <laughs> yet another 100 miles. It must yeah. be quite a surreal sort of feeling that. Yeah, I mean, look, it didn't, I mean, I knew I'd done 200 miles, that was great, and gone through two days. It didn't feel like that. Um, my, uh, I mean, look, there's been, you know, uh, it's been much discussed on the, you know, social media and, 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 you, and those photos and videos evidence that, you know, I was not like, like running well by the stage, right? I mean, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, it didn't didn't look as though I was you know heading out for you know my, my morning run. Um, so yeah, so I was I was stiffening up, uh, but um, actually, you know, I felt I, what surprised me was that I was moving reasonably well. Um, I was so what I was able to maintain was was my speed. So that second night, actually, the first part of the night I was a little slower, but the last kind of six hours of that night, I was hitting the same speeds that I'd been doing 24 hours earlier. Um, and so, uh, so I felt really good about that. I felt like I was, I was running pretty consistently. Um, I, you know, I didn't, I mean, I was sure I was hurting, but I didn't, it was, it was, it was, it was just like deep muscular hurt, right? Tendon starting to, you know, uh, experience the, you know, the load. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, you know, my knees were fine, you know, the integrity of the different, you know, systems seemed to be good. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of surprising. Um, and, uh, and, and I just, I, I guess I was waiting for the wheels to fall off. Um, and definitely, even though, like I was, I was, I was very happy with how it was, I was moving, but you know, I looked at Dave, who looked incredible. Um, he looked as smooth as he had in the first loop. And, you know, on the nights, you know, it's an out and back, so you come back and, you know, he, he'd come by and he'd, you know, say hi. And, yeah, he, he just looked great. And Maggie was, like, so consistent, you know, through the whole event. Just looked really strong. 
Um, so, look, I think I think everyone in the field, I think all the spectators, certainly I thought that those two would, you know, would, would kind of go off and, you know, probably go through the third night. So I was just kind of trying to hold it together, really, and I thought, look, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Um, you know, 200 miles, that's, you know, that's that's great effort. Um, and, yeah, if I, if I had suddenly gone lame, you know, if my knee had stopped working um, at that point, look, I would, I would have been entirely satisfied. How, how did you feel sort of far out for that distance? Because that's one thing I struggle with. I've, I've sort of got it up to about 18 hours now, <laughs> being able to hold it together. But it's a very difficult thing, like two days of pumping all sorts of food into your stomach. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd had actually, it, it had been pretty good. I uh, I think I struggled with, not so much with, with nausea, but um, the second night, just the feel of some of the food made me gag. So I tried to, like, I, I wanted something fresh. So I had like an orange slice uh, and immediately just, when it went in my mouth, my, my, like, I just said, no, 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 I'm, we're not having that. Uh, and similar with some noodles, I think. It was kind of similar. So I was able to, like, if I was drinking soup, I was fine. I could, like, eat, like, biscuits, kind of ate some bars. I was occasionally, occasionally taking a gel. Um, I was drinking kind of Gatorade and Coke and ginger beer. So, um, so yeah, so I was getting calories in. That, that started to be a problem uh probably i mean i'm not exactly sure where but i think kind of third morning um uh yeah i started to actually it wasn't so much nausea but i got some diarrhea and you know that when when that when that hits you like oh i don't want to eat anything because you know i don't want to obviously set set this off um so that's where the kind of spiral downwards started and uh um there were definitely a few loops where I was just on fumes. Um, there was one where I came in, uh, it's actually on, on video, I came in and I, I like put my hand across my throat to to Jason, my crew, and I was like, dude, I'm out of it. Like, you know, I, I, I can't go another step. Like, you know, this is terrible. Um, but, um, but yeah, but uh, so the other thing that happened was, okay, so my crew... Jason and Heather, you know, they're, they're a couple. They were supposed to leave Monday morning. They just moved. They've been living in Thailand, but they just, they just moved back to the States. And the Tuesday morning in D.C., they had their moving truck arriving. So they needed to, to be back through it. And, you know, they'd assumed, like me, that, you know, I'd be done probably Sunday night. So Monday morning, I'm, I'm still running. So they're like, hey, look, we're sorry, but we're going to have to leave. Um, and <laughs> I was like, you know, that, that's fine. Um, so, uh, so it was around this time that Guillaume and Andy Pearson started crew for me. Nice. Um, and there's kind of a complicated story there, which, uh, which Maggie has talked about. I'm not sure if she mentioned it on your uh, show, but, um, she was, so she was incredibly keen to push as long as she could. Right. And she was still super, super strong. Um, and she was very focused to try and break the 300 miles because no one's ever done that and that'd be going through 70 to 72 hours um and uh she and dave have been talking and you know i mean they both thought that they could you know both you know go through that far and then around loop 51 or 52 uh was when dave suddenly from having looked so good for so long the wheels just came off and i mean it's as they can do with absolutely anybody um 
and he had one loop where he came in like 59 minutes and 20 seconds or something. And uh, and then he tried to start the next loop and he, and he just didn't get, get through through the next one. And it was just, you know, the exhaustion. Kicked, yeah, I, can I, I can actually remember watching that and it was like, holy shit, Dave's dropped. Yeah, you yeah. Know, there's like a wave going around the planet. Yeah. There was, <laughs> yeah. And I apologize to everybody else that was on course, but there was a, this expectation like Dave's in the last four you know Dave's got this like and he was the first yeah. one to go and that really is what well, backyard's all about yeah yeah well the, the other thing was that um you know I think if you ask some of the other competitors who dropped earlier a number of them would say you know one of the reasons they dropped was because they looked at Dave and he just looked like he was untouchable and he was going to go for four days and so you're you know, you're starting to hurt, you know, on the second night. And like, well, I mean, why would I put myself through another 24 hours of pain just to quit so that Dave can win, right? Um, so then when he did drop, I think a few people looking around going, oh, maybe I should still be in this. <laughs> but, you know, but uh, yeah, the, yeah, then it's too late. So then, okay, so Maggie's keen to keep going and Dave has dropped and the only other competitor he has left is this guy who, you know, has been described in print as a walking corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, she uh, was chatting to Guillaume and she said, "Look, can you get this? You know, can you kind of, you know, pep up his spirits? Can you get him, you know, <laughs> a little, little little bit more inspiring?" Um, nice. And so he was like, "Sure." So he, so he came over and started chatting to me and, and said, "Well, oh, man, like you can do this, like you know," and. Uh, and then he was chatting to Jason Hill and they said, hey, you know, we're actually about to go. He was like, oh, no problem. So then he and his buddy Andy, who, and Andy had also um, been in the race. So they just came into crew. Um, then what happened was, since it you know, was now the last two of us, uh, Jason and Heather felt that they couldn't leave. So actually they stayed through most of that day. Uh, didn't leave till kind of late afternoon and then drove all night to get home. I think Jason had about an hour of sleep and then went into work the next day. So, Jesus. <laughs> so I end, ended up with this crew, a crew of four people. Because it is tough on the crew as well, because like, you're only in for oh, yeah. five to ten minutes. So they've yeah. got like 40, 50 minutes, and then bang, you're in again and gone again. That's right. But they're also, but you're in every hour. Yeah. You know, and if, I, mean, I mean, by this third morning, we've been going more than 40, 48 hours. So if they're crewing you every hour, they're having the same you know sleep problems that you are. Yeah, big time. Um, coming down to the last two, then. So Katie, when did Katie drop out? She was all awesome as well. So yeah, so she dropped first uh, of the four. I think okay. she dropped at fifty, and Dave dropped at fifty-two. Okay, so how was that going then? Because as you said. You know, backyard is all about putting that mask on, not showing any weakness. And you've got Magatron on one hand, sure. and somebody, as you described there, as a zombie on the other side. At the same time, Dave looked like that as well. So it was quite a, an unknown. Did your mind? Because it sounds like all the way through this event, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just keep pushing. Do you feel like you had? you owed something to the race and owed something to Laz then to give this a bit of a finale. Cause that's what we've seen every year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so, um, uh, uh, when it came down to the two of us, 
uh, I was feeling absolutely terrible. And it'd been obvious to everyone that I was, you know, uh, <laughs> not, not looking great. So, so I was not playing any games at all. And in fact, I think Maggie actually said to me something like, I think it was maybe the loop before Dave dropped. She said, hey, Dave's not looking good. So it's going to be the two of us going through. Like, I hope, you, I hope you're ready to run through the night. And I said something like, oh, I feel completely, you know, out of it. I don't, I don't know if I can finish this loop, right? Like, so, you know, it's, it's not exactly the kind of rule book for uh, gamesmanship. Um, but, but I think that was, you know, the, the reason that I got through as long as I did was, I think, largely because I wasn't focused on everyone else. Like, if I'd been focused on Dave, I would have dropped it for like, mm -hmm. you know, 18 hours, right? Um, but I wasn't, uh, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't there to win it. I was there to push my boundaries and see, you know, how far, you know, I could go. And I didn't really care if that meant I was going to be the last person standing with, which I didn't think I would be, or the 10th or the 20th, um, you know, just, just see how far I can push. Because that's my, like I say, I'm an, I'm an average runner. That's my experience of a race, right? I'll be doing a race and I'll be, you know, I'm inter interested in competing and I'll see somebody ahead. I'll be like, oh, I wonder if I can catch that person, right? And you catch them and then that's great. And then you have footsteps behind you, right? So you, you're having that race within the race. But ultimately, I'm going to come 36th and the person behind me is going to come 37th and the person in front. So at some level, it doesn't really matter, right? So, um, so that's kind of what I took into this race. Um, you know, see how far you can go. And, you know, push it as far as you can. Um, I mean, the interesting thing to me was that in terms of just the pure how far can you push yourself, that uh, took me to 36 hours. And then uh, at 36 hours, that was no longer able to sustain me because I would have dropped, even though quite obviously uh, that was not my limit because I kept going quite a long time after that. But that was... Uh, uh, that goal was only sustaining for a finite amount of time. And actually what got me past 36 hours was, was my crew, that they wanted me to continue and we were a team. You know, how can I let them down? Um, and so, yeah, so, so they became part of the motivation. But as you say, um, you're exactly right. When it came down to the two of us at the end, I'm feeling absolutely shocking um, really don't know if I can do an, another, you know, uh, loop. Actually wanting to stop, you know, just wanting, by now pretty much want, wanting, wanting the pain to be over. But thinking that, you know, this is an event where these duels do, they're kind of a defining part of the, you know, they're, 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 not, they're not the only thing the event's about, but they are a kind of defining aspect to it. It's the grand and when you finale. think of each of the each of the years, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think about you know those, those you know two or three people going, um, and I also uh, so I did think it would be quite underwhelming to the race if the three of us dropped in quick succession, and then Maggie's kind of left by default as the winner. And I also knew, you know, because she and I had chatted. We, we didn't chat a lot during the race, mainly because by the time you know, we were kind of together, I was feeling just really terrible. So, uh, so we've actually talked more on social media, you know, after the, after the, uh, uh, than, than we did junior, but, um, but yeah, but, but I, I was keenly aware that she wanted to go 
you know, long and that she definitely could. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't absolutely know she'd get to 300 miles, but she could definitely keep going. Um, and so, yeah, so I thought, well, look, there's no one else to do this but me, right? So, okay, well, I, I, sh I should keep going. But, but the other thing was um, I'd start each loop and I'd be feeling pretty weak. And uh, I'd come in and, and I was saying to my crew, look, I really can't do this anymore. You know, uh, uh, it's, it, it's time to quit. And they, so they give me all these arguments. No, no, you know, keep going, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, so I kind of felt like, okay, if I time out of the loop, that's fine, but I have to give my all to do it, right? You know, in some sense, they're right to force me back on the, back on the loop, back on the starting line um, until I can't do it anymore. So I should try. But actually, as I started the loop, each, loop, each time I started, my motivation levels were quite low. Um, because at some level, I, I, I did just want it to end. And I knew that, okay, well, if I just time out, this can all be over, right? It'll all be done. And so I would start off pretty slow. And as I got to those markers, as I got to the V tree, I'd be like a minute slower than the, than the loop before. And knowing that, okay, look, just keep going this pace and, you know, and you're done. And then at some point, each loop, I'd have the same realization, which is that, well, hang on, you can time out, that's fine. But you have to have tried to get there, you know. It's going to be very hollow if you just walk it in. And so then the kind of second part of the loop, I'd suddenly find myself running. And, and at some points I was running like a madman because I realized actually I don't have a lot of time, but I do have enough time, but I have to run this uphill. So we're now like on the third day of running. I've been running for like, you know, 55, 56 hours. And I'm running up these hills because I know I've only got six minutes to get back. I'm still like three minutes away. So, you know, put, put pedal to the metal. So, uh, yeah, so there were, there were a lot of kind of conflicting things all going on you know, in my head at the same time. It's strange that. It's very similar to what I said in the CCC when I was going to pull out. Um, I made the decision just to time out rather than pull out. And all of a sudden I got a lot of, it took that burden away from me. You know, I just gave mm. myself over to the race, which allowed me then to go on for some strange reason because the decision was no longer mine. So I wasn't having to resist that or fight with that decision the further I went on. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, I gave some of that over to my crew, right? So I'd come in and I'd kind of, at some level I was saying to them I should stop, but, but I was also quite weak. And so I was, I was actually too weak to argue with them. And so it was definitely easier just to let them put me on the start line than it was to have an argument with them to tell me to stop, right? Um, and I've heard, <laughs> I've heard Andy Pearson uh, comment that his impression of me was that I just got to the stage where I'd kind of decided, okay, this is my life now. My life is running these loops. Like, it, you know, I, and as, as I kind of went, you know, as I got deep, then yeah, I did become kind of a, you know the zombie kind of like an automaton. Just okay, I'll just keep going. And uh, and of course, when you're competing against that, so yeah, I was looking terrible. But as I continued to look terrible and yet continued to run the loops, and then as they uh, started to kind of deal with my calorie deficits and they got me to drink more. Um, I actually started to feel better. So 
the third afternoon, I felt a lot better than I had the third morning, and my speeds actually started to increase. Um, and so, yeah, so people did start kind of looking around and going, well, who knows, like, we've been thinking this guy's going to drop for like 24 hours, you know, who knows how, how long he's going to go for. Yeah, it was class being the underdog then in the Biggs backyard, um, and it was to that point, because watching it back at home, and we knew how strong Maggie was, but we're looking and going like, Will should have died 24 hours ago, but he's still there. You know, and then it was a huge question mark around, well, he actually could do this. And it almost switched over, starting to think that Maggie was the one now that was going to have to try and hang on. No matter how strong she looked, this guy has died 24 hours ago and he's still continuing. Who'd want to be up against that? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, like I can honestly say, even when Dave dropped and I was now in the last two, it didn't for a second cross my mind that I might win at that stage because I just I felt so terrible and Maggie looked absolutely great. Um, but yeah, towards the uh, after lunch on the third day, you know maybe the last four or five loops, um, uh, she definitely always looked better than me and she was stronger than me. And I'm, if I was a betting man, I certainly would have been putting money on, on her rather than me. But, um, but yeah, but I started to feel good enough that I kind of began to feel like, well, maybe this could continue. And uh, if it continues, there is no reason that what happened to Dave and what happened, you know, to, uh, uh, to Amelia and what happened to Guillaume and what happened to all these other people uh, couldn't also happen to Maggie, right? Like, because, uh, you know, because it's the backyard, anything can happen. So, yeah, so it was quite late in the event that I entertained the possibility, well, maybe I could win this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing there, like, but just listening to your story all the way through that, um, going in with sort of low aspirations as in relative to what you actually achieved and then just hanging on to death's door, and it wasn't until near the end, this zombie-like creature said, hmm, well, maybe I could. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite a unique journey that you went on all the way through that. Um, I don't want to jump ahead, but that is bound to be something that is going to stand by you in ultra races like for years to come. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's always it's always great to have a demonstration of the artificial limits we put on ourselves, right? And, you know, there's limits we put on ourselves that are for good reason. I mean, you know, there's guys in, in Hong Kong that I race with, you know, quite often. Yeah, and there's, there's some of them that are just faster than me. And if I race them at a 5K, like, you know, I'm limiting myself in that I think I will lose to them. But there are some reasons for that, right? Because, you know, the physiological makeup is, is just different. So, so not all limits we put on ourselves uh, purely arbitrary. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, the reality with this was I'd never done an event like this before. And so I was using the standards that I would use in a typical race to create limits for myself. But actually, some important constraints didn't apply. And, you know, whether it's something that I'm suited for, or whether it was just like a great couple of days in Tennessee, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure, but um, maybe, maybe a mixture of both. But yeah, but uh, actually the, the kind of the, you know, the, uh, uh, the variables I was using to do the extrapolation uh, 
some of the important ones didn't really apply in the situation, which meant that, yeah, actually I could just kind of keep, you know, keep pushing. Um, I read your blog before we came onto the podcast here. I loved your description of the last loop. So tell me about that and how, how did that go? <laughs> so, uh, so I got through the, all of the third day until the last loop of the day, which is when the sun sets. Um, and, you know, as I've suggested, kind of ironically, I was feeling better at the end of the day than I was at the start of the day. Um, I wouldn't say I was feeling great. Um, but it, it had been raining for the afternoon uh, and it actually was getting pretty cool. Um, and uh, I think the, the spectators were freezing. Uh, we actually... <laughs> To be honest, I didn't really notice. I kind of knew that I was wearing a jacket, but um, but but it was cool. But the uh, so the trail was slippery, and so it was already a bit challenging. Um, it's now more challenging because it's slippery. It's also from having done it two. Uh, I, this is my third evening, right? So I'd done it twice before in the same time slot. Um, it was definitely harder to do as it got dark, uh, you know, with the headlamp because it's very narrow and there's lots of rocks and roots and things to to step around. Um, and I was also running slower now. So probably my average for those, the last few loops uh, of that third day were about maybe 56 to 57 minutes. So I don't have, a, don't have a big margin. So my thought coming out of it was, okay, I need to run a bit faster, at least at the start, to you know, try and get a little bit of a head start. And so uh, as we started the loop, you know, Maggie had always been running away from me. And so I thought, well, let's try and stay with Maggie if I can. And I was not able to stay with her, but I was able to stay closer to her than I had. So rather than running completely away from me, you know, she was still kind of in the, you know, in the kind of vicinity. And um, we, the first part of the loop is actually on a road. You kind of go down a road and then turn around and come back up. Then you run back through the start finish area. And, you know, by the time it's just two of you, everyone's clapping and cheering. And that's great. Kind of pick up your spirits. And then you go into the woods and, uh, and there's kind of an uphill and then a, quite a long downhill. And as I went on the downhill, I could see Maggie just in front of me. Um, and then at the bottom of the hill, she slipped and uh, got up and then turned around and saw me there. And she was surprised because the, the last like six or seven loops, you know, she hadn't seen me in the woods at all. So she was actually worried, oh, I must be running slower than I need to, right? So she then kind of takes off up, up the next hill. I, on the other hand, have the opposite feeling. I'm like, wow, I've actually hung with Maggie, you know, some way into the loop, so I must be doing okay. So, you know, keep moving, but things are going okay. But then, um, yeah, just about this stage, it's really becoming dark. And so it's time to kind of put on the headlamp. Um, and as soon as I did that, I just started really swimming, uh, you know, in terms of just my consciousness. I, I couldn't really uh, keep track of what I was looking at, what, was, what I was imagining. Um, I felt like a video editor was in my brain switching out, you know, the live feed with something that, that was pre-recorded, um, particularly as there's, there, there's a bit of an uphill with, with, that was quite rocky. And the rocks seemed to be just constantly shifting and you know changing shape and um, and uh, so I was fighting this as best I could and uh, in ways that I had for the last couple of nights. But I'd had two nights with no sleep and this was going into the third. So obviously 
you know, my brain was, was getting pretty, pretty fried. And then somewhere on that loop, and to be honest, I can't tell you where, um, uh, but uh, somewhere on the loop, uh, I essentially fell asleep as, sorry, that's the, 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 the dogs heard the story before. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> He's he's he's, uh, he's shouting you're bloody crazy. Well, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so as the uh, yeah uh, uh, as the loop kind of continued, uh, it's now kind of pitch black, and I I literally fell asleep on my feet. So I'm still moving, but all of a sudden, I had the sense that I was back in Hong Kong, and I was exploring some trails in Hong Kong. I was in kind of some villages. Um, there were people around. I couldn't quite see them, but I knew they were there. Uh, I wasn't quite sure the direction I was following, but there seemed to be some markers. And like, you know, weirdly subconsciously, I kind of remember, well, those markers seem like the markers for like that trail you're doing at Beaks, but it didn't connect. Like it didn't, you know, it didn't make any sense. Um, another little voice was saying to me, I think you're supposed to be finishing this loop in an hour. But it's kind of like, you know, when you have a dream and things don't quite make sense and you kind of know once you wake up, they're going to make sense. I kind of had that feeling. I was like, oh, well, it'll, it'll all be sorted out, you know, somehow. Um, so I was kind of wandering around these villages in Hong Kong, uh, actually looking for a trail down to the city because it's pitch black. I figured, well, there must be a trail down to the city. That's what I, I need to find. <laughs> that's where, you know, that, that, that's where, where I can get home. Um, and I must have been doing that for a good 10, 15 minutes. Um, but I don't, I don't believe I sat down, lay down or anything. I think I was on my feet the whole time, basically sleepwalking. Um, and then as I, uh, uh, yeah, as I was wandering around, around one part, all of a sudden a, a headlamp was coming towards me. Now, I thought I'd been seeing people around uh, you know, in this kind of hallucination. So it wasn't like, oh, good, I finally found somebody. But the headlamp seemed to be coming towards me. So I thought, oh, is this person looking for me? So I kind of yelled out, <laughs> who's that? And then the, this voice comes back, it's Guillaume. And I was like, Guillaume, what are you doing here? But then it kind of suddenly came to, and I was like, oh, like, so I woke up. Uh, and... Nice. Uh, yeah, and so I said to him, like, oh, like, you know, what's happened? You know, uh, is the race over? And he was like, yeah, 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 you know, Maggie, Maggie finished. And so I was suddenly very apologetic. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry I couldn't finish the loop. Uh, and I was apologizing. And he said, hey, come on, man, you're like running 59 hours. That's, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty mental. You must have been totally exhausted then. How far away were you from the finish then? You had to walk back with him. Yeah, so we walked back probably about a k, um, so it wasn't it wasn't too far. How were you feeling um, there? Was it relief? Yeah, I mean, look, it was uh, was kind of disappointment. Not not that I hadn't won, but it was kind of disappointment that the whole thing was over. You know, like mm. you, once you're in that state, you just kind of want it to keep going. Um, uh, but. Uh, I, in, even though I, I came to there and I was conscious, but but I think I was I was pretty out of it. Um, and we went back. Um, uh, you know, everyone's still at the finish line. Actually, 
uh, when I got there, I was kind of, I had this weird feeling that we, that we weren't at the finish line. Everyone was there and the tents were there, but it was somewhere different. So, so yes, yeah, so I was, I was still definitely kind of struggling with my, you know, mental state. Um, you know, Les said some, said, said some kind words, uh, and that was great. And, you know, Les is the kind of guy that, um, you know, he wants to be impressed by people, but you have to impress him. And, you know, he's not going to tell you you've done well if, if he doesn't really think you have. So, so it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool uh, when, you know, he, he, he had you know, those words. Uh, you know, congratulated Maggie. Um, was, was still pretty out of it by that stage, but, uh, but was, was, was genuinely thrilled for her because she'd been such a solid competitor. Uh, and completely deserved to win it. Um, yeah, it was the first woman to win. That was awesome. So, uh, so yeah, it was, was, was pretty, pretty thrilled for her. And, you know, on didn't take long just to reflect on the fact that I'd, I'd done so much better than I, you know, thought I would, um, had gone further and ended up running the same distance that Guillaume had run to beat Harvey two years earlier that, that I thought at the time was just, you know, incredible. And now, you know, I've, I've done the same thing. Um, so yeah, so that, you know, that's obviously, you know, pretty rewarding to kind of, you know, think about. Yeah. On reflection, it really was the grand finale that Lars would want, you know, cause Lars got his first female finisher and he designs these races to take people totally out of their comfort zone. And you were the epiphany of that right from the start mm. to the finish. So from a Lars's point of view, and I suppose, this is most. This is the most important one, I suppose. Um, you know, it really was a good finale. Like if Dave Proctor, for example, had finished um, at loop fifty and won the race, that would not have been a grand finale. But the fact we had somebody hanging on and the first woman finisher made it quite a unique um, a race. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think no matter who wins, there's always going to be a story there. It's always going to be a great story. Um, I do think it's there's something about an extended duel that uh that people really get into um and uh it doesn't necessarily have to be just two but um yeah we, we had a really good group of four for quite a long time and i think that was quite cool um but yeah i think it was good for the event to have a duel and whether that was me and maggie whether that was dave, dave and maggie whether that was kate i mean katie and maggie that would have been a great you know like two women going, you know, I mean, that would have been fantastic as well. Um, so uh, I think, think there's always going to be some story there. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was uh, it was great to be a part of it, yeah. Same sort of thing that I said to Maggie as well. Like if you, if you take in consideration, because Lars says there's almost 100 affiliated races now since 2012, which is phenomenal around, around the world. You were still the last man standing out of all of those people and those unique <laughs> That must have you must have thought about that as well in your reflection. Like of all of those, the last man standing, that got beat by the last woman standing. I'm just gonna add that for Maggie's sake because <laughs> she's done phenomenal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> would you do another backyard race after having gone so far, knowing how fatiguing and tiring and painful it it can be? Uh, well, uh, I am on the, uh, schedule for things next year. So I guess I'm going back. Brilliant. And there's a, a huge lineup next year as well. Um, are you excited by that? You have the likes of Courtney coming in, Camille. Hearn I know it's in. incredible. Um, I mean, you basically got the, I mean, you know, the, 
the US men and women's 24 hour team, uh, you know, going, you've got Johan coming back. Um, I think of the, of the top like seven uh, or eight uh, kind of backyards ever, you've got all those people, you know, coming. So, um, so yeah, I mean, um, uh, so it was partly, so, so Les said that he would let the final two from the last three years in. So by being one of the final two, uh, I kind of had a place. So I kind of felt like, you know, to for Les to kind of guarantee you a slot in any race that he does, it, it's a pretty hard thing to turn down. But then when I saw who was going to be on the start list, uh, I was like, well, yeah, yeah, uh, have to go back. But I guess too, look, I mean, so these things, these these races are all about, for me anyway, they're really about exploration. Um, you know, they're about, they are about taking you out of your comfort zone. They're about trying to see, you know, uh, uh, what what you can achieve. Whether that's, you know, whether you can climb that mountain, whether you can, you know, do that qualifying time, um, or whether you know you can do that many loops. And and you know, part of me is interested in. Uh, uh, I think there is every likelihood that when I go back next year, I'll do fewer than I did this year because that's just what the, the statistics would tell you, right? I mean, it's pretty hard to go more than 200 miles. To do that twice, you know, is, is definitely going to be a, be a huge challenge. Um, so I definitely don't, yeah, I don't expect to go there and just have the same performance again. Um, having said that, I mean, there are things, uh, there are things I can do that would have improved my performance. Um, what I proved to myself this time is that actually my body can keep going, right? It actually, it, it was my mind that ended up, you know, suffering. So, so yeah, so if I go back, I need to sleep. I need to, you know, uh, uh, have a sleep schedule, you know, strategize around that. Um, my nutrition was okay, but wasn't ideal. So I, I can definitely do better work around that as well. I think just be a bit more structured in in those uh, you know intervals between loops, um, and then the other thing is that look, I mean, I would say quite honestly, uh, I'm not. So when I go back to the bigs, I'm not going back to win bigs. Like that's not my goal, and I think my internal mantra remains to see how far I I go. Um, you know, not to be too concerned about those around me, but but look, I'll, I'll honestly say when I go back, I, I do think I could win bigs, right? I mean, that's the change in my psyche. Um, when I came this year, I thought there was no chance. Um, no, there is a chance. So uh, I I would say quite honestly that my I feel like I'll still be very satisfied. Say I say I run more than two hundred miles again. You know, say I'm sharing loops with Courtney and Camille, uh, you know, Guillaume again, um, yeah, Maggie. Um, uh, I feel like that'll be a pretty good experience. And I feel like if, if Maggie wins again and she's like two-time winner, you know, or if Courtney wins or Guillaume does again, like, like that'll be super, super cool. So, so it's not like I need to win to be satisfied. Like I'm not going back because I got unfinished business. Just being um, there is amazing. But it is. But but yeah, but but my expectations have changed, and and yeah, I'll be going there with an expectation that 
there's no reason, despite all the incredible resumes all these people have, you know, there's no reason that this is a format that I couldn't, you know, be the, be, be the winner in and, and kind of take that, you know, as it comes. Yeah, it sounds like to me that sleep deprivation got you in the end. You know, at some point that's going to creep up on you. We're talking about the third night now, two nights with absolutely yeah. no sleep. Yeah. And you've reflected there, that's something that you're going to try and bring into your gameplay, I suppose. Um, because at some point that was always going to hit you. Um, and look, I, would, I would say that I dealt with sleep better than all but one of the other competitors, right? Um, so I don't think it was a huge failure. And I think I'm pretty strong. Uh, I think I deal with sleep deprivation pretty well. Um, but yeah, but if you want to go through three nights, then it's pretty hard to do if you're not sleeping. So you, you've got to try and do something uh to yeah yeah to, to push through but you were breaking you were breaking pain barriers there that a lot of people i don't think would have been able to break and i think that's the difference and that's why i think you're a bit of a dark horse going into the next race and people will be thinking that about you after this year obviously because still well, can't definitely, still can't get out of my they, head like you should have been gone 24 hours ago and the man kept going it's like you talked about the wild boar there. It's like shooting a wild boar about five times and the thing's still running through the forest. Yeah, I mean, definitely next time, no matter how bad I'm looking, like people are going to be going, okay, <laughs> but, but he looked pretty bad last year as well, right? So. You got a pretty good uh, game face. Well, we're going to wrap it up with that. Um, I know it's pretty late with you in Hong Kong. I really appreciate your time. Um, I was intrigued by that. It was even hard to ask questions because I was just listening so much to what you were saying. I just absolutely <laughs> love the race. Wish you all the best next year. What's your next hey, big race? You. What's your next big race? Uh, uh, I've got something coming up. Uh, if I'm if I can recover from this one, uh, I'll do something kind of late January in Hong Kong. Okay, brilliant. Well, I wish you all the best and talk to you soon. Hopefully, might talk to you next hey, year. Hey, thanks a lot for the chats. Be great. Well, that's it from me on this year's Big Dog's Backyard. I hope you enjoyed the series and learned a thing or two on how to attack the event. I thought Will's valiant attempt was awesome. It really did give me confidence in what could happen. Remember, the hardest part is getting off your ass and making it back to the starting line. So don't be that person who fails in the tent. Make sure if you're going to go out, that you do it by timing out on course. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.